Part three, chapter four of Dawn of All by Robert U. Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The sight on which the watcher's eyes rested as he sat, hung here in motionlessness above Westminster, a hundred feet higher than the great St. Edward's Tower itself, was one not only undreamed of, but even inconceivable to men of earlier days for it seemed as if some vast invisible airway had been flung straight from the mists of london down away to the southwest horizon where it ran into the faint summer haze thirty miles away so level was the line held by the waiting velours on either side vast barges shining like silver hung with the great state cloths of modern days that it appeared as if the eye itself were deceived as if there were indeed a pavement of crystal a river of glass so clear as itself to be unseen, on whose surface floated this navy of a dream such as the world itself had never imagined. Now and again, like a fly on water, there darted from one side to the other a tiny boat in the blue and silver of the city guards, or dropped, ducked, and vanished. Now and again it wheeled and came whirling up the line, vanishing at last in the long perspective. But for the rest, the monsters waited motionless in the sunlight their state cloths hung as from the old barges from stem to stern as motionless as themselves except when now and again the summer breeze stirred from the southwest lifting the lazy streamers wafting softly the heavy embroideries and stirring even as the wind stirs the wheat the glittering giants that waited to do their lord honour opposite the air barge where the watcher sat perhaps a hundred yards away floated the royal boat, between a pair of warships, one blaze of scarlet, blue, and gold, flapping out the royal standard of England, and flashing the glass of the stern cabin, as the great creature rocked gently now and again in the breeze, and upon its deck rose up the canopy, where the king and his consort sat together, and the line of scarlet guards visible behind. On the warships on either side the crew waited, the ship itself dressed as for a review, every man motionless at his post, with the crash of brass sounding from the lower decks. And so down the line the eye of the watcher went again and again, fascinated by the beauty and the glory, down past where the great ducal barges hung, each in order, past the officers of state, past the parliament barges, down to where the boats in numbers, beyond all reckoning, faded away into the haze. To those who looked across to where the man himself sat, the sight must have been no less amazing, for he sat there, in his new dress of cardinal scarlet, on the throne of ceremony beneath his canopy, with his attendants about him, on a wide deck laid down with scarlet, its prow crowned by the silver cross, a silent, watching figure, with a splendor of romance about him, more suggestive even than the material glory that showed his newly won dignity. There was not a soul there in those astounding crowds, whether among those who, hanging here between heaven and earth, awaited for the ceremonial reception, the coming of him who was vicar of one and lord of the other, or even among those incalculable multitudes beneath, who packed the streets, crowded the flat roofs, and looked from every window. It was this man, they knew, this tiny red figure, sitting solitary and motionless, who scarcely three months before had stood before the Revolutionary Council of Berlin, of his own will and choice who had gone there and faced what seemed a certain death, for love of the old man, whose body now lay beneath the high altar of the tremendous cathedral beneath, and to whose office and honours he had succeeded, 
and for the sake of the message he had carried. It was this man, alone of the whole Christian world, who after looking into the face of death, not for himself alone, but for one who was dearer to him, and to that Christian world than life itself, has seen in one moment the last storm roll away from human history for ever, who has seen with his own eyes Christ and his vicar, Princeps Gloriosus, come at last, take the power and reign. He too was conscious of all this, at least subconsciously, as he sat motionless, a figure carved in ivory, a man who had found peace at last. Here, in the contemplating brain, as with his eyes he looked over the vast city of London, enormous and exquisite beyond the dreams of either the reformers or the artists of a century ago, seen as through the crystal of the summer air, as he lifted his eyes now and again to the solemn barges opposite, with all that that dignity meant. Above all, as he looked, down that immeasurable line, that roadway of a god, along which presently at least the vicar of a god should come. All this and a thousand memories more, memories of events such as few experience in a lifetime, crowded into twelve months, past an endless defile, coherent and consistent, at last, under the pointing finger of him who had directed and evolved them all. First, then, he saw himself, a child in knowledge, beginning life at a point where many leave it off, plunged into a world that was wholly strange and bewildering, a world which, though Christian in name, seemed brutal in nature, brutal as the pagan empires were brutal, yet without the excuse of their ignorance and passion. Yet his intellect had seemed unable to refute the conclusion of that march of events, that coherence of all ideals, and a reasoned whole, that fulfillment of instincts, that play of forces, upon which, as upon a tide, Catholicism had floated to final victory in the history of mankind. Not one element had seemed wanting, and, as if to convince by sensible visions that brain which shrank from merely argued logic, one by one he had seen for himself, as in a picture lesson, how at Versailles the social tangle of an individual kingdom had once more submitted to monarchy, that faulty mirror of the divine government of the world, how at Rome the stability of rival kingdoms had found itself once more in an arbiter whose kingdom was not of this world, how finally, at Lourdes, in the widest circle of all, the very science of the world itself had found itself not confronted or opposed, but welcomed and transcended by a school of thinkers whose limitations lay only in the infinite. Once more than he had returned, yet he had found that the head and the imagination are not all, that man has a heart as well, and that this has its demands no less inexorable than those of intellect. And it was this heart of his that had seemed outraged and silenced, for he had found in Christianity a synthesis of ideas, a coincidence of knowledge, which, while satisfying that head, emerged in a system to which his heart could be no party. He had learned that Christian society must protect itself, and he had seemed in this to find a denial of the essential Christian doctrine that success comes only by defeat and triumph by the cross. It had seemed to him that Christ had accepted the taunts at last, had come down from the cross and won the homage only of those who did not understand him. He had been quieted indeed for a time under the power of men who, whatever the rest of the world might do, still thought that suffering was the better part. Yet he had been quieted, not convinced. 
then he had sought a glimpse of the reverse of the picture of that which now seemed the sole alternative to that faith which he feared a glimpse only yet full of significance for he had seen men to whom the better part of themselves seemed nothing men who walked with downcast eyes piling mud and stones together and fancying the heap to be a very city of god then swift as grace itself had come his answer he had seen men who had already all that the world could give men who he had thought lusted only for power go to an unknown and yet a certain death for the sake of a world over which he had thought they cared only to reign and go with smiles and cheerfulness and while he still hung in indecision still hesitated as to whether this or that were the kingdom of god this shrinking dream of a world sufficient to itself or this brightening vision then the last light had come and he had seen one to be victor by sheer self-abnegation by contempt of his own life by the all but divine power of an ordinary man walking in grace there had been no rhetoric in that triumph no promises no intoxication of phrases no overwhelming personality such as that which had faced him there had been nothing but a little quiet personage with a father's heart who by his very fidelity to his human type by the absolute simplicity of his presence had first climbed to the highest point that man could reach and then by that same fidelity and simplicity had cast himself down and in the very hour that followed the unconditional surrender which his enemies had made had granted them a measure of liberty such as they had never dreamed of in the name of the powers whose superlord and representative he was he had abolished the death penalty for opinions subversive of society or faith substituting in its place deportation to the new american colonies he had flung open certain positions in catholic states hitherto tenable only on a profession of the christian religion to all men alike and he had guaranteed to the new colonies in america a freedom from external control and a place among civilized powers such as they had never expected or asked this then was a new type of man who had at last conquered the world it was not a superman that had been waited for so long not a demigod armed with powers of light not man raising himself above his stature building towers on earthly foundations that should reach to heavens but just man utterly true to himself and his instincts walking humbly before his god looking for a city that has no foundations coming down to him out of heaven it was supernature not superman grace and truth transfiguring nature not nature wrenching itself vainly towards the stature of grace it was man who could suffer who could reign since he only who knows his weakness dares to be strong vicisti galilei slowly then he had come to see that as had been told him long before the kingdoms of this world were already passing into the hands of a higher dominion and this was the significance of this microcosm of those kingdoms that now lay before his bodily eyes there opposite to him in the blaze of sunlight stood the throne that for a thousand years had faced the throne of the fisherman now as a dependent now as a rebel stable and fixed at last in its allegiance here beneath him lay london the finest city in the world where if ever anywhere had been tried the experiment of a religion resting on the strength of a national isolation instead of a universal supranationalism it had been tried and found wanting 
Beneath him lay his own cathedral, already blazing within like a treasure cave, ready for its consummation, without, tranquil and strong. Behind him the ancient abbey once again in the hands of its children. Far away to the right, seeming strangely near in this lucid atmosphere, hung, like a bubble, the great dome below which, as he knew, stood the first basilican altar in London, newly consecrated as a sign of his papal dignities and privileges. And beyond that again, London, and yet again London, a wonderful white city, gleaming at a thousand points with cross and spire and dome and pinnacle, patched with green and square and park and open space. London come back again at last to her ancient faith and her old prosperity. But this was not all. For he knew, and his imagination circled out wider and wider that he might take it in. He knew that Europe itself at last dwelt again with one mind in her house. There beyond the channel, across which ten minutes ago, as the thunder of guns had told him, the arbiter of the world had come at last with this train of kings behind him. There lay the huge continent, the great plains of France, the forests of Germany, the giant tumbled debris of Switzerland, the warm and radiant coasts, the ancient world stage of Italy, passionate Spain, which never yet had wholly lost her love. There all lay, at one at last, each her own, with her own liberties and customs and traditions, yet each in the service of her neighbor, since each and all alike lay beneath the peace of God. Still wider fled his thoughts. He saw to the southwards and far away westwards across the seas, how now this country, now that, flew its flag and administered its laws, yet how those flags altogether saluted the crossed keys, how those laws, however diverse, bowed altogether before the law of liberty, and how there, farther yet, already the gates of the east had rolled back, and how there peered out across half the world the patient-seeking faces of those old children of earth, awakened at last to destinies greater than their own, awakened, not as men had once feared, by the thunder of Christian guns, but by the call of the shepherd to sheep that were not of his fold. So there lay the vision before him, this man who had lost his memory and had found a greater gift instead. An old priest in the white fur of a cannon came gently up the deck behind him. "'Your eminence,' he said, "'they have signaled up the line. I thought, perhaps.' The new cardinal started as one from a dream. "'What is it, Father Jervis?' The old man looked at him closely. Then he laid his hand on his arm. "'Your eminence, the king is waiting. Do you not remember? Your eminence was to give the signal.' Beneath, like huge voices, speaking a single word all at once, were the old guns from the tower in Greenwich and the palaces. The cardinal shook his head. I, I forget, he said. I was thinking, what am I to do? The old priest looked at him again earnestly, without speaking. Then he leaned forward closer still. Will your eminence authorize me to give the signals? Yes, yes, father, anything. What am I to do? Have I to say anything? His eyes had a look of dawning terror in them as he glanced from side to side. The priest once again laid his hand on the lace-covered wrist and held it there steadily. Nothing at all, your eminence. You have simply to sit still. I will arrange everything. Still standing there, he turned slightly and made a sharp gesture behind the throne with his left hand. A bell sounded instantly. There was a moment's silence. Then once again a bell, and a chorus answered it. 
Very slowly the cardinal lifted his head, and saw before him the royal barge sway ever so slightly, conscious himself that through his own vessel a vibration was beginning to run as the huge engines beneath moved into action. Again roared the guns far down the river, and, as the bellows ceased, from a thousand steeples broke out the calmer of brazen tongues. He sat still. He knew at last that this he must do. Surely this obscurity of brain would pass again in a moment. He was going to meet the Holy Father, was he not? Down there, down that road of light and air, along which now his great barge floated side by side with the king's. That was it. He remembered again now as his memory flickered in glimpses. This was the great progress around the world of the new arbiter of the world, the vicar of the Prince of Peace, coming to his kingdom at last. He kept his eyes steadily before him, scarcely seeing the flash of the river as it swept beneath him and away, or on all sides the dipping flags, the monstrous gilded prows, the bravery of color, down this broad road on which he went, scarcely conscious that, as he passed, the great barges wheeled behind him to follow to the meeting. Scarcely hearing the tremendous music that, sweeping up from the crowded streets below, wafted up to him the adoration of a free people, who had learned at last that the law of liberty was the law of love. Ah, there at last they came, far down, rising every instant higher above the summer haze, outlined against a heaven of intensest blue, approached a cloud that sparkled as it came, that broke into a thousand points of color, a long, fat cloud, seen at first as a steamer stretched across the sky, curving down behind, as it seemed, into the haze from which it came. On and up it came, growing every instant, widening and deepening, ever more and more clear in color and form and depth. It could be seen now of what elements it was made, a throng of tiny specks moving like stately birds, which, even as the eye watched, seemed to spread their wings upon the breeze that followed, to expand their bulk and to glow, as the distance lessened into the separate colors of each. Then once again bellowed the guns, heard now like the voice of articulate thunder five miles behind, rolling up the river as if to welcome this fleet upon its way. And still he kept his eyes upon those who came so swiftly. There in front moved the great guard ships, monsters of polished steel, decked at prow and stern with the huge banners that stood out straight behind in the swiftness of their coming, but which, even as he looked, flapped and bellied to this side and that as the speed decreased. Then, wheeling outwards, disclosing as they wheeled the insignia that each bore, the eagles of Germany, the lilies of France, and the rest, the guard of thirty giants fell once more into line, half a mile apart, as those that followed came on and waited, beating the air with the shimmer of their netted wings. Then ship after ship came up, each wheeling in its turn and waiting, building now up with the speed of thought a vast semicircle, expanding ever more and more swiftly as the watcher looked, himself halted now, with the royal barge on his right, and his train of boats behind. There each in its turn passed the air navies of the great powers, come to bring their lord with honor on his progress through the world, vast armaments of inconceivable war, enrolled at last in the service of the Prince of Peace. Then, when the movement was complete, and there lay there across the burning blue of the sky, five hundred feet in air, this vast curve of glittering splendor, ten miles from horn to horn, on came the great fleet that they had escorted. There, then, the watchers saw, two by two, first the barges of the papal orders, 
the order of the holy sepulchre with its five-fold cross and the golden spur leading huge medieval galleons carved at prow and stem each bearing its insignia then came couple after couple bearing the papal court followed closely by great barges each with its canopy and throne and the coat of the cardinal whom each bore flying overhead and then a glorious sight for moving alone in a solid phalanx each vessel separated only by the space necessary for close manoeuvring came the royal barges of europe flanked on either side by a line of guardboats france austria and germany then belgium and holland then the scandinavian kingdoms then a crowd of lesser states from the balkan greece and the black sea then the black eagle barge of russia and finally the great galleons of spain and italy and on each sat a royal figure beneath a canopy of state and last of all moved a huge vessel in scarlet and white with a banner of white and gold and crossed keys at the prow scarcely seen at first through the crowding craft with a squadron of guard ships coming after there then the man who had lost his memory sat motionless and watched it all this astounding display of inner grace transformed into glory at last that royalty which since first the fisherman took his seat in holy rome had little by little the reverse in success forced its way outwards on the world the leaven hidden the meal till all was leavened and it seemed to him as he looked as if through the splendour of the midday sun the glitter of that sea of aircraft through the pealing of the bells beneath and the shock of the guns and the shrill crying that filled the air there moved other presences too and yet a third medium that those of air and earth as if disfused throughout this material plane was the world of more than matter and mind more than of sense and perception a world where all was reconciled and made at one this clash of flesh and spirit and that at last each answered to each and spirit inspired flesh and flesh expressed spirit it seemed to him for one blinding instant as if at last he saw how distance was contained in a single point color and whiteness and sound and silence as at the very word of him who now at last had taken his power and reigned whose kingdom at last had come indeed to whom in very truth all power was given in heaven and earth end of part three chapter four